Good morning, everyone. Beautiful day outside, isn't it? I love it. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Stephen Atherton. I'm the one, one of the pastors here at WCC, and I'm excited to be opening the Word with you this morning, second week in a row, diving back into Malachi, this last book in the Old Testament. So last week we studied through the very first section of this book, and we saw it started with God's incredible love on display. So instead of beginning with the problems that needed to be addressed in this oracle, this burden of the Lord, God starts with, I have loved you. I have loved you. In the first dispute between himself and Israelite, he shows his love in that they're his chosen people. These people that he loved, that he will protect them. He shows his love through his protection, with his name being made great, and that the people will praise him because of this great love. But this book shifts pretty quickly. It shifts from the reminder of God's love to the proof of the Israelites' undeniable lack of love for him. Bringing the question to the surface, do they... Do we today serve God, worship God in the way that he deserves? Or do we let the brokenness of the world distract us from the truth of who this almighty God actually is? I want you to think back to when Jesus first rescued you from the penalty of sin death. That glorious moment where your eyes were opened. You realized the need for a Savior and you were saved. And the overpowering just necessity that you had to worship him with your whole being. You were lost and now you're found. Seeing God for who he truly is, seeing his incredible love on display, giving him your all, even for me, as a five-year-old, when I, recogni- when I recognized this and Jesus saved me, I-, I just remember just being completely overjoyed. Most people can't remember that far back at all. Either I'm like, I just have that kind of recollection, but it- it's not that. It's-, it's that it was such a profound moment for me. It doesn't matter if you were young like me, growing up in the church your entire life, or if you're a 70-year-old who lived their life in the gutter and is seeing the light for the first time, when Jesus takes a hold of your heart, it's life-changing. But like a new toy as a kid on your birthday that might blow your mind in the moment, like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Anyone that has kids knows this. They've seen it like, oh, my gosh, it lights up and makes noise. That's so cool. But then six months later, it ends up in the trash because the battery started to go and everyone was just too lazy to fix it. Like this, our relationship with the Lord and subsequently our worship of the Lord can and will fade if we don't daily recognize the truth of who this ultimate, eternal God is. Recognize His almighty power. 
Recognize that it's him that holds the whole earth together by the word of his power, like it says in Colossians. Like we talked about last week, it can be easy to stop seeing the true love of God when our world is falling apart. It's so difficult at times to see him when the world around us seems to be fading and falling. when we stop seeing God for who he is. If we let that thought process take hold, our desire to honor him, to serve him, and give him our lives as we freely did at the beginning of our relationship starts to fade. We don't just stop seeing his love, we start to be unloving, giving him less than what he actually deserves leaving a shell of worship, just half-hearted, lackadaisical, lazy, unacceptable sacrifices to our God and King. So as you sit here this morning, I pray that this passage is going to open your eyes to the truth of your life in this specific area. Is your life on display for the one true King? Giving him your best, your wholehearted worship, or are you giving him leftovers? The proverbial blemished lamb. We're never going to be able to give God our whole lives perfectly. It's not possible. We will never be able to make his name perfectly great like he deserves. But there's a massive difference between giving him your whole heart and giving him half of your heart. The nasty leftovers. So again, this morning, are you giving your whole heart or are you giving half of your heart? Today we're going to see three sections in this text emerge that speak into half-hearted worship. Excuse me, four four sections. Disrespect that shows half-hearted worship. Dishonor that shows half-hearted worship. Disdain because of half-hearted worship. And discipline because of half-hearted worship. Disrespect, dishonor, disdain, discipline. Let's pray. Lord God, you are great and you are worthy to be praised. God, as, uh, as we sit here today, God, we come before you broken beings, unworthy of your love, but God, in your, in your kindness, in your never-ending love, God, you, you show us love even though we don't deserve it. God, I pray as we go through this passage this morning, you would open our eyes to see that through this true love that you give us, that we would desire to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshipped. God, that we would give you our whole hearts. And Lord, if we're not, if we're just checking boxes today, I pray that you would convict our hearts, that you would change our lives today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said before, last week we went through Malachi 1, 2 through 5. And in this, as I said, we see God's love 
on display for his chosen people, his protection of his people. And then ending in verse 5, we see this proclamation that the Lord is and always will be known and seen great beyond the walls of Israel. And because of this, there will be praise from the people with God's name known and great. Diving into our verses for today that immediately point back to the people. Immediately point back to the people with their lack of love for God through their actions that starts us in this second disputation, this second dispute between God and the Israelites. And this time it's God starting the questioning in Malachi 1.6 saying this. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. So right off the bat here, God questions not just the people, but it's the priests in particular that God's questioning here. Right at the beginning, starting in this section. And the reason that it's important we know this is because the priest is the one at the time who would represent the people as a whole before God. So the priest was responsible to ensure the offerings brought by the people were proper. What I mean by proper is proper according to what God asked of them in the old law. So Leviticus 21, 6 through 8 gives us just a slight glimpse of what it was to be a priest at the time and their responsibilities, and it brings even more light to the passage that we're looking at today. Leviticus 21, 6 through 8 says this, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God, therefore they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I am the Lord who sanctifies you and holy. There's a lot of back and forth here of giving the bread, that they are the ones responsible, speaking for the people, and it's in regards to holiness. You see this word holiness wrapped in who these priests are consistently. So the priest had a lofty calling. It was a noble calling, and it was a necessary calling to point the people to God. And not only that, to honor him with their lives by serving him the way that he deserved to be served. But as we're going to see shortly, these priests are still broken, sinful men who fail God at every turn. But the difference between them and the people as a whole was the fact that they were representatives of the people. Meaning when they failed to lead the people properly, when they failed to shepherd the people properly as they were called to do, they brought an entire people group down with them. Showing the people the example of half-hearted worship, which led to a nation of half-hearted worship. Now, knowing who God's talking to, being the priest, we see God start 
just with some basic examples of respect that these people would have known really well. The first one is a callback to the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20:12. honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Then moving on with a servant fearing his master. With God pointing to these, saying, hey, you, you know you're supposed to honor your earthly parents, right? I mean, it's right at the very beginning when I gave you the Ten Commandments. But for some reason, you're completely disregarding me. You know you're supposed to honor your master. So what's going on here? The God of the universe is talking, where is my honor? Where's my fear? But the way it's worded here, it's not just Lord anymore. It's the Lord of hosts. Where is my honor and my fear, says the Lord of hosts. So this name God uses, this Lord of hosts, appears more in Malachi than any other book in the Bible. The importance of this phrase goes back to last week's passage that we were talking about in the first disputation, where God begins with his love for the people, with their questioning of this love and an immediate reminder from God of his love for them through his protection, like we talked about. So Israel was a microscopic people group compared to all the others that were out there at the time. And they didn't have an army. So in this, they're reminded of God's protection of them through this name that's repeated so often in this book. God is the God of the heavenly hosts, the largest and most powerful army in the whole universe. God has a heavenly army always at the ready. With this name being used as a constant reminder of his power and his protection, but also of who he truly is. This God that they're disrespecting is the God over the heavenly armies. The God that they're disrespecting is the ruler over all. And as we're going to see in a moment, this God they're disrespecting with their half-hearted worship. Bringing us to the main, thing that we, main theme that we talked about in the intro. Disrespect that shows half-hearted worship. Taking us back to the question to the priest, where is my honor and fear knowing who I am, the God of angel armies? with the priest firing back just like they did in the first dispute, walking us right into the second. Really, God, how? Really, how? Going into the end of Malachi 1, 6 into 7. But you say, how have we despised your name? God saying, by offering polluted food on my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? This, second, this section of questioning reminds me so much of a kid. Me saying, wow. Like, you really disrespected me. And I go, how? Oh, really, how? Because you yelled at me. Oh, oh, really, how? I mean, seriously, like, you opened your mouth and you yelled at me. Oh, really, how? I mean, we all, we've all heard this before. Re- why? Why? How? 
Now put it back into the perspective that these priests are having this back and forth with God. Taking it to an entirely new level when you question the God of the universe. Knowing very well what they did wrong, but in their pride, they're just refusing to acknowledge it. With God then shifting the tide as we move forward with more detailed explanation through more questions. How have they shown half-hard worship through disrespect? Malachi 1.7, the end of the verse, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And how have they despised it? Verse 8 saying this, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is, not, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? So without context here, this can get lost on us 2022 American Westerners, so we need to dig into the sacrificial system as a whole to know why this was such a disrespect to God. So the sacrificial system in the old law was important for several reasons. It was important because it was the way the people would temporarily atone for, the sin, for their sin. And at the end of the day, it was a way they honored God. It was a way they acknowledged his perfect holiness that they could never achieve. Obeying him through what he commanded and respecting him by doing these things in a very, very specific way. So throughout scripture, God uses a lot of callbacks to other places in the Old Testament. The book of Malachi following suit with this. Last week was a callback to the Israelites being a chosen people loved by God. I know I repeat that a lot, but that's a big theme in this book. And we saw there was a lot of reference, references from all over the place. We were in Genesis, Leviticus, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Nehemiah, Obadiah, the list goes on. And this week we're being thrust back again to Leviticus. God calling the people to remember this sacrificial system that was set in place, the system they are dishonoring with their half-hearted worship. Leviticus 22, 17 through 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering, for any of their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will be not be accepted for you. So as you can see, in this extremely particular system, there's several things that stand out connecting us back to Malachi. Number one is a reminder of the priest's position over the people serving them as a mouthpiece between them and God. Number two that we're seeing here, we see a layout of the types of things that are going to be accepted as a sacrifice. And then three, with the biggest connection to our text so far, it will not be blemished. It will not have any issues. It won't have problems. It won't be the runt or it won't be the one that only has three legs hobbling around. Like if you go to Fort Collins, it, it's almost inevitable you're driving around Fort Collins. You're going to see that dog with three legs that has like the little wheel attached to it running around. God's saying, no, that's not okay. I'm not saying sacrifice dogs. That's not what I was talking about. 
No, it had to be perfect. It had to be the best of the best like God deserves. And we see this all over the place in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 15, 21. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 17.1, you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect, whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. And the list goes on. God was extremely serious about the sacrifices being made to him being perfect. No blemishes whatsoever, which we're going to dive into more here in a bit. But from our initial verses, God's pointing out the priest's failings in this area already. Their half-hearted, disrespectful worship. Where they're offering up broken, messed up sacrifices to the one true God. He continues on the rest of verse 8, Malachi 1.8. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So the priests had the nerve to offer God what they would never, ever offer their governor. At that time, in some cases, the people were able to pay their taxes with livestock. So God, through Malachi, is saying, you know your governor would never accept that for your worldly taxes, but you give it to me as your sacrifice? You give it to me as a sacrifice to atone for your sins against the Almighty God? Showing our second point, their dishonor through their half-hearted worship. Disrespect and dishonor. Disrespect through these sacrifices and dishonor as they honor the world. In this case, their governor over him. Marching us into verse 9, where we see God start this next section with irony. Malachi 1.9, And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. So he's basically, really? Really, priests? You want to disrespect and, dis- and dishonor me at every turn, knowing the old law, knowing good and well the sacrificial system and what I've commanded, but you want me to bless you? You put your what you think are holy hands to the sky with these insults as sacrifices, and you want me to bless you. With verse 10, that should have shaken them to their core. Malachi 1.10, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. So this might not seem like much to us, but that statement was huge to them. I would rather you shut the doors to the temple. I would rather you not worship me at all than to continue this vile display of half-hearted worship. God's pleading that someone in this group would see their evil ways. Someone would recognize this wrongdoing and shut the door so that these disrespectful offerings would stop. 
so that the people could see the error of their ways and reset. But even in this statement, we have a clear picture that there was no one standing up for truth. There was no one offering correctly. That the people under the leadership of the priests were so far gone in half-hearted, unacceptable worship that they didn't even recognize the treachery in it. With God continuing in verse 10, with again something that would have hit him and something that should hit us. When we give him the leftovers, the disrespectful, dishonoring, half-hearted worship, it creates disdain. Our third point in the saga of half-hearted worship. Half-hearted worship brings disdain. And what I mean by this, disdain is when someone is unworthy of one's respect, unworthy of one's consideration. And this is the boat the people landed themselves in, living the way that they were. God saying, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. God is not going to accept half-hearted worship. He's not going to accept these offerings that only bring him dishonor and disrespect. And not only that, he has no pleasure in them. There is no pleasure in the individual that offers half-hearted worship. Knowing this, knowing God takes no pleasure in their garbage, knowing they've been consistently breaking God's commands, it does not It will never take away the truth of who he is, even in their evil. It doesn't change who God is. And he reminds them of this in verse 11. Going from their their terrible sacrifices, shut the door, I have no pleasure in you, and it goes directly into this. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So you priests, you Israelites, you think you're so high and mighty. You think because you're chosen, you can do what you want. But let me tell you, there's a time coming that's not just going to be you. There's a time coming that the whole world is going to worship me. From the rising to the setting sun, my name will be made great among the nations. So the phrase here, the rising to the setting sun, is seen all over Scripture. Psalm 51, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Isaiah 45, 6, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. This phrase is referencing the entire world. Kind of like Lion King. Simba and Mufasa are, are up on Pride Rock and looks over. He says, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Everything the light touches is God's. And he will be made known in it all. Despite the Israelites' half-hearted worship, despite their failings, my name is going to be made great, says the Lord of angel armies outside the borders of Israel. 
in all the nations, to the entirety of the world. So with this information, God rolls right back into the Israelites' disrespectful half-hearted worship. Malachi 1.12 says, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick in this. You bring as offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So Malachi right here is taking the conversation full circle back to verses 7 and 8. To the offering that, as the verse says, polluted the table. With the priest literally snorting at what God asks. Stuck up, ungrateful, self-serving priests who were so caught up in themselves, they were actually wearied by the idea of serving God properly. They had lost sight so much, they were actually bored of worshiping him correctly. With this, there's a call to us before we even get to the end of our passage. How often is this us? When our passion for Jesus fades, the new life zeal that we had starts to wane. How often are we like these priests? How often are we like the Israelites? Bored of our relationship, wearied by the relationship because of life, because it's problems, because of the the brokenness as we saw at the beginning last week. Because of that, we end up just checking boxes. We come to church on Sunday. Okay, God, check. Read the Bible. Okay, I did it. Check. Pray. Thank you for the food. Check. And at the end of the day, we're actually rolling our eyes and snorting at the idea of giving our all. That might seem like an intense way for the priest to respond, but it actually is so easy to fall into. In our laziness, we can give God our diseased, blemished lambs. We might not even be realizing it. And today, we don't sacrifice animals, but it's our lives. Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In this, we're we're seeing it's our lives that we're presenting, our lives that we're desiring to give our everything to God, living our lives honoring Him, living on display for Him. And there are so, so many ways that we can do this. Hebrews 13, 15 is one of them. Through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, praising him. 
acknowledging him. And this is a sacrifice because even when it's hard, we're still called to give our all. Even if an Israelite had nothing, they were still asked to give their best. Even when God feels distant, we need to give him our perfect, unblemished lamb. Something the people didn't realize at the time, but needs to be made very clear today, is what the sacrifices they were giving were actually pointing to. And the reason we should desperately desire to give our all today. The reason God required a perfect lamb to temporarily, temporarily atone for their sins, as we talked about earlier, was a foreshadowing of the perfect lamb that would have to come to be the ultimate perfect sacrifice. The lamb that would come take on the sins of the world for the sake of his people to be back in a right relationship with God, to be washed clean to be made white as snow by this perfect sacrifice. For the sin to not be temporarily atoned, but to be permanently erased. The sacrifices being made were symbolic of the coming Savior. So these half-hearted, dishonoring, disrespectful offerings of worship were a slap in the face to God and a slap in the face to the one who would come. It makes the verses we read in Leviticus previously come to life even more. The way God lays out the sacrificial system is not just a way to keep the people in line. It reflects his pure holiness and what he requires for pure holiness. No animal could ever do this. That's why it was a consistent system. But God was bringing out that the forgiveness of sins comes through the perfect sacrifice. It wasn't just a rote system. It pointed all the way from the beginning of the old law to the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come down to the broken world to live perfectly, who would be the lamb with no blemish, who would go to the cross, dying the perfect sacrificial death, defeating the grave so that we could be back in that right relationship with our Creator. Back then it was pointing to the Savior. Today we know we have access to our Savior. Sin had to be paid for. It had to be atoned for. And again, the only way was through perfect sacrifice. It's not by works. It's confessing that he's Lord, knowing that we need a Savior. Our sins can only be covered by him. And because of this, we should desire to fully and wholeheartedly worship him. Not half-hearted check-the-box worship knowing that without him we're dead, we're headed towards an eternal darkness, knowing without him we are unable to approach the throne of grace. It's because of these things and a million more, our worship should never be half-hearted. It should never be on the back burner or only on Sunday. 
or what you think worship is because you checked a box. Ending this passage with the third call back to God's great name. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. I'm a great king. Don't worship me with this lackadaisical disrespect and dishonor. Worship me with your entire being, with your life. And not because you have to, it's because you want to, knowing all that he has done. I love you. I love you through my protection, but you need to worship me and honor me like I am a king, because I am. My name will be feared. This God who will be feared will not accept broken worship. At the time, the people lost sight of God. They lost their fire for him, and from it came unworthy worship. But in his loving kindness, he came to them through this prophet to point out their brokenness so it could be fixed. He's doing the same for us today in this passage. Yes, he takes no pleasure in half-hearted worship. Yes, we should daily desire to give our whole heart to honor him. But this is also a loving reminder of the areas we might be failing so we truly can worship him. Just like with my kids when they disrespect and dishonor Jen and I, we discipline them because we love them. We want them to see the error of their ways so they can grow living their lives honoring Christ, taking us to that final point of discipline. In our half-hearted worship that disrespects and dishonors God, even in the disdain and displeasure it creates, there is loving discipline that brings us back to center. There's his beautiful word that helps, helps us see the truth, that leads us to desire to live our lives daily, not just Sunday, daily for him. Desiring to do this because we know we've been set free from hell. Knowing he's worthy of this praise. Knowing the world is watching and we also want them to know this God. And I'm not saying that this is easy, I'm not saying we will ever, like I said at the beginning, we will ever honor him, worship him, sacrifice our lives for him perfectly. But it's the posture of our hearts in it. It's that desire to give our all, even when we fail. Seeing that's so easy to have this half-hearted worship, walking in the door, checking the box. This has to be on the forefront. We have to surrender daily. We have to daily preach the gospel to ourselves, remembering that good news has saved us. And even in the hard times, even when he seems distant, he's there. And from that will flow wholehearted worship. He loves us. He loves you. 
He loves us enough to remind us, to discipline us so that we can come back to where we need to be, to point us to truth, which I pray again will bring us back to that place of wholehearted worship. Let's pray. God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for this time that we have just to study it and to see your loving kindness through it, God. Even, even in the sinfulness, God, you still love us enough to point us back to where we need to be. Pray if there's anyone in here today, God, that is struggling with this half-hearted worship, God, that they would not feel condemned today, but they would feel loved, that you are pointing them back to you. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.